know the why human trafficking work is needed to fight for the freedom of modern day slaves. But love, passion, commitment isn't all you need to be an effective and successful anti-trafficking advocate. Learn the how. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, Director of the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute at the University of Toledo. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast, where I'll provide you with the latest and best methods, policy, and practice discussed by experienced experts in the field so that you can cut through the noise, save time, and be about the work of saving lives. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation, episode 166. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, and I'm solo today. But I want to talk to you about trauma, internal trauma, and how to heal trauma. And so I want to play the presentation that I did in September 2022 at our annual International Human Trafficking and Social Justice Conference. So without further ado, here's my presentation from the conference about trauma and about the survivor's journey to healing. I want to start my talk about the survivor's journey with a story. And it's a story about a client, let's say your client, Janine. She's a survivor of sex trafficking. Janine's 26 years old. She has been drug addicted for a few years. She's been in treatment and um, she is battling those demons. She is going to AA and NA. Uh, she's working on her sobriety. She's been a previous victim of child abuse and neglect when she was little. By the age of 16, she experienced a, a rape, sexual assault uh, by her uncle. She began abusing drugs and alcohol at 18. At 19, she got involved in prostitution uh, to pay for her drugs and to get her rent paid. And by the age of 20, um, she had been involved with a trafficker, a pimp, who she worked for for three years. Janine has two kids, and Janine's goal is to get her kids back. So Janine stays sober for a period of time and then goes back to drugs and alcohol and sort of a chaotic life from time to time. She's had a series of intimate partner violence um, in her relationships, some friends that cause a lot of drama, and she's been referred to you because of her trafficking experience. So you decide to walk alongside Janine and help her. So the first thing you do is you work on building a relationship and building trust, and you find out that Janine has indeed been beaten up by previous boyfriends, by her previous trafficker on several occasions. Find out that she has been brutally raped uh, by a customer in the past, that she's been robbed um, getting out of a car of a customer by a neighbor who knew that what she did and she getting out of the car, they knew she had money, so they robbed her. You know that she has had a gun held to her head, a knife. You know that she's been pushed out of a moving car by a customer in her past. You are really concerned about Janine's safety, um, that safety is your number one concern. So you want to make sure she's always in a safe place and that she feels safe. Um, you empower Janine, you encourage her, you support her, you know she can do it. and. You start linking her to services. Um, 
one of the things Janine talks about is her child support. And so you start um, lining up events and lawyer, a lawyer and things like that so that you can help Janine uh, go for child support, even though her kids aren't with her, the, the mom who's taking care of her kids can get the child support that the kids need. Um, you help her find housing because she has unstable housing right now. And you help her connect to healthcare services, a clinic uh, close to her house because she has um, diabetes. And so you want to help her get that under control. So as you're walking alongside her as a social worker, as a peer advocate, as an ally, um, you're not a clinical therapist, but you know just based on what Janine has told you that she has experienced a lot of trauma. She she must have a lot of internal turmoil. She must be suffering um, psychologically and emotionally and mentally. She has to. And, and you think she's a walking marvel. She's a miracle. How is she still standing? How is she walking and talking and going about her life? You are amazed. You are honored to be able to work with her. And you can't believe she hasn't committed suicide or she isn't living in a mental institution right now. And um, and as you walk alongside her, you understand that Janine has experienced a lot of trauma. And you wonder how she does it. Janine is so happy and grateful that you're working with her and grateful that now she has a stable place to live. Grateful that, you know, you're going to help her go after child support for her kids and eventually be able to get her kids back. She's grateful. She's thankful. She's going to her AA meetings. She's going to her NA meetings. She likes you and says that you're one of her favorite workers and you have a great relationship. But over time, Janine sort of slips back into drinking and using Percocets. Um, she ended up losing the place that you got her uh, because of a bunch of drama from her baby daddy. And um, you are really in the headspace of getting her prepared for court and child support and all those things. And only to find out that she doesn't have a stable place to live anymore. And you wonder what is going on? We were making such great progress. We had a great relationship. We have a genuine mutual respect. Um, she was successful in getting her housing. She's been successfully going to NA and AA and what's happening. So you connect Janine to more resources that she might need. Maybe you suggest that she come to your support group or another support group um, or and that she go to counseling to work out some of her issues and and you reconnect her to housing. And Janine is grateful that she has housing and that you're going to help her that we can start over and that you're non-judgmental in that. And but Janine slips back into depression. She some of her behaviors and um some of her thoughts about herself are very negative and very shame-based. Um and you notice that Janine's kind of feeling, thinking and behavior, she can be going down the path of, you know, 
healing and success and it's all great, but then there's a dip where just really a lot of shame, shame-based um, in her feeling and thinking and behavior. And you, your process seems to be a cycle. You know, you're helping Janine to meet her immediate needs and then to stabilize so that you all can get to the longer term goals she had, but you start moving toward those goals and then there's a crisis. And then you have to stabilize and then you have to meet those immediate goals and you seem to be going in a cycle, in a cycle. Is Janine actually getting better? Um, And you question your work. Something is missing in our work together. Something is missing in Janine's healing. And I call this the magical belief of professional helpers that we sometimes believe that survivors will heal from trauma because of the external services that they receive from us. We're linking them to housing, food, clothing. We're linking them to substance abuse treatment and lawyers and healthcare workers and have them going to support groups that don't really have a clear purpose and don't focus on trauma. And and we think that the power of our relationship and our genuineness and our non-judgmentalness and our, our authenticity is enough or our past experiences will connect to those ex- their experiences and that will be enough. And that this magical thinking is somehow going to heal their trauma, their internal brokenness. And we forget that trauma affects every aspect, our ability to have quality, healthy relationships, our ability to have good Uh, friendships, our ability to parent, our ability to hold a job, our ability to believe in ourselves. We forget that. But we have to remember, remember the child abuse and neglect that Janine experienced, the rape, the sex trafficking, the intimate partner violence, the beatings, the robberies, all of that trauma sits and festers and begins to permeate thinking, feeling, behavior, and every aspect of a person's life. And so Janine feels horrible that she can't move on with her life. She feels broken. She feels something is wrong. You're doing your best. You're helping her, but she isn't progressing. So I want to talk about the three T's of trauma. Because some of you out there will say, well, I'm I'm trauma-informed. You know, I've had trauma-informed training, and that's great. But trauma-informed training only helps you not to re-trigger, re-harm, or re-injure a client that has trauma. It just helps you to put on the lenses to say, this, cl- this client has experienced trauma. And so the way I engage, the way I communicate, the way my agency develops policies of safety and all the things, our intention is not to re-injure. But remember, you haven't helped heal any of the trauma. You just didn't re-injure. That's what trauma-informed care is. Now, on the right side of these two circles, there's trauma treatment therapy. And trauma treatment therapy actually is designed to help heal the trauma or reduce the symptoms or triggers related to the trauma. 
the uh, traumatic events that have occurred in your life. Meet with your therapist who's certified and trauma trained once a week, but you still haven't learned how to become empowered to own your power, choice, and voice in all aspects of your life to reincorporate genuine joy into your life. And so that's what trauma-focused long-term care is for, to take control of your life by owning your own power, choice, and voice. And those two, trauma treatment, therapy, and trauma-focused care are what helps heal trauma. There's a collusion going on, a sort of an invisible agreement, right, that we have that really is not helpful to the healing of survivors. And one of them is with the criminal justice system. So let's say we, as the peer advocate or as the social worker, counselor, we help our survivor connect to the criminal justice system because she says, or he says, I want to um, receive justice for my rape, for my sexual assault, for my trafficking experience. And so you connect them and the prosecutor takes the case, which is <laughs> not often happening. And the prosecutor wins the case, which isn't often the case either. Let's say all that works out perfectly. And that criminal justice system says, now you have closure, right? You've heard this many, you have closure. Your rapist is now incarcerated. You have closure. Your trafficker is now incarcerated. You have closure. And you go home and you think, God, I have closure. That's awesome. And you go home and you sit down and you think, what is closure? Does that mean that I'm supposed to now close it? My trauma, my sexual assault, my trap. I'm supposed to close that and put it away now because you said that I have closure? The social service system says that because I I survived this horrific event in my life or series of events, I am a survivor. And you say to yourself, wow, I am a survivor. And you go home and you feel still very internally broken. Still, you don't have joy. You see other people, they seem to have joy in their life. They seem to have healthy relationships. They seem to have, they, they, they move through life. And you seem stuck. But I call myself a survivor. But we got to remember survivor is meaning, you know, if I asked you, how are you today? And you say, I'm surviving. It's not really living. So you take yourself maybe to the mental health system. You say, I need counseling because something is wrong. But let's say you get to general counseling. You don't get a trauma treatment trained and certified therapist. So you go to eight sessions of counseling. You say, wow, counseling doesn't work for me. I still feel awful. I still feel a lot of shame, a lot of guilt for something that happened to me that I did not do. And you conclude, wow, these three systems, these three impressive systems, these three 
systems that hold brilliant people that have been to college, that have written the manuals and all the policies, could they be wrong? They can't be wrong. It's me. I am unique. I can't be fixed. That's not true. But it's difficult for survivors who already have a beaten down self-esteem to say that these three systems could be wrong. But they are. So we as the worker, we continue to walk alongside them and we're thinking that they're on their healing journey and we don't realize that all of these external services that we've helped provide, even internal support groups or counseling, they have not started the internal journey because they have not been put on the correct path. You can walk alongside going anywhere and never know when you get there because you haven't been on the right journey. So I like to ask when people say I walk alongside survivors, I like to say, but where are you going? Do you know where you're going? Because there is an internal path. There is an internal journey to healing. And it is to move victims to survivors and to survivors to thrivers. So the journey, there are three phases. And within those three phases, there are 12 individual journeys. So Janine decides that she's going to take the survivor's journey. She comes to survivor's journey groups on a weekly basis. And she learns that in our survivor's journey groups, there are certain truths. And once she understands these 12 journeys and understands there are 12 truths, once she incorporates those 12 truths and she learns the tools that are provided in group, she experiences transformations, internal transformations that lead her to healing. Our opening statement in the Survivor's Journey group, we say at every beginning group, please take these chains and free me from my internal prison. Take the pain and replace it with joy. Take my existence and replace it with life. Take my sorrow and replace it with happiness. Today I live by choice, not by chance. I make changes, not excuses. I am motivated, not manipulated. I am useful, not used. I choose self-esteem, not self-pity. I trust others that are trustworthy. I am not bound by others, but I have boundaries. I eliminate from my life those that offer me despair and disrespect. I work toward healing and put my energies into my freedom and recovery. And then our group begins. Phase one, the victim learns awareness. She learns that she has been internally trapped and not free. Even if she's no longer in a victimizing situation, she is not internally free until she's done her work. She learns that she is trapped and that these external trappings, these, these clothes, these cars, this smile on my face is to fool other people into believing that I'm okay, but I'm not okay. 
She learns courage, and that really means with the support of her group members, she learns to start gathering professionals in her life that can help her, her trauma treatment therapists, for example. She learns self-discovery. She learns how her past got her where she is today. She learns that that her past does not dictate her future, but it describes her present. And so she takes the journey to self-discovery. Janine builds her team of support. She learns connection to a formal support system is important. So she builds her bomb squad. Her bomb squad is her trauma treatment therapist that she sees once a week and anyone else that she designs and says, I want to be a member of my bomb squad. So that might be a case manager to help her stabilize with housing and food and clothing and all the things that might be an AA or NA sponsor. It might be a trauma-focused yoga instructor because there's some work around trauma and body work. But she learns to pick, choose, and select the people on her bomb squad. Now, why is it called TNT, the tools, right? The truth and the transformation. And we're talking about a bomb squad. Bombs? Absolutely. Because we think of bombs as destroying things. Sometimes we think of it as breaking down things, but sometimes it's a breakthrough. Sometimes we need to tear down walls and build up new walls. So we call this our bomb squad. Janine learns in the survivor's journey to manage, to identify and manage her symptoms, her trauma symptoms and triggers that keep holding her back, taking her back, stealing her joy. We learn to manage um, our destructive internal voice. She learns to change her negative thoughts. She learns about physical boundaries and emotional boundaries and sexual boundaries and how to maintain those. In phase two, the survivor learns what it means, what internal safety means. That means to deal with, identify and deal with our core beliefs our schemas, the things that we've been telling ourselves, and then how to replace that negative core belief with positive core beliefs. We need, we learn to benefit ourselves to be in support of ourselves. We learn external safety, meaning we learn to identify those people, places, and things that are toxic in our lives and those people, places, and things that are nurturing to us. And then we design and craft empower ourselves to design the life with the people in it that we want. We learn to distance those toxic people, bring closer those nurturing people in our lives so that we feel our space is safe. We learn trust, not just trusting anybody, but we learn how to identify trustworthy others and how to become trustworthy. We learn that joy is a choice, internal joy, not happiness. Happiness is fleeting. People, you know, give you a million dollars. Oh, I'm happy today. Joy is an internal choice, right, that we can make because we have the power to choose joy. We learn that our beliefs, our obligations, and our loyalties, unspoken, to bring those to light, to bring those to the surface, and then to make a choice. These beliefs, 
these obligations that I have to people in my life, these loyalties that I keep, do they benefit me? And if they don't, I give those up and I adopt those beliefs, obligations, and loyalties that I want that do benefit me. I learn how what a healthy relationship is and how to have healthy relationships, how to design that and craft that. And I empower myself to implement that. We learn how to have healthy, intimate partnerships and what they look like and what they feel like. We identify our past patterns and we create new patterns. We start to live life on our own terms because we were making conscious choices. The thriver practices self-forgiveness. And we we no longer are willing to live a shame-based life. So we forgive ourselves overall, but then we learn to forgive ourselves on a daily and weekly basis. We learn to unburden and untether ourselves and release those toxic feelings and resentments uh, about our abuser. For some of us, it means forgiving our abuser. For some of us, it means releasing that toxic energy, not not to benefit them. This does not benefit them whatsoever. They won't even know it. It's to benefit us because hanging on to anger, resentment only poisons us. It only harms and hurts us emotionally and also eventually physically. Then we learn to come to Survivor's Journey groups to give back to others, to show them the journey, to be the role model of what their life could be like if they indeed take this journey. So in essence, she learns that the road of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And what her worker learns, what are the lessons that you learn as somebody who's walking along survivors, is that trauma poisons feeling, thinking, and behavior. It doesn't go away. It has to be dealt with. Trauma steals joy. Trauma robs people of a fulfilling life. Trauma poisons healthy relationships. We learn that trauma-informed care will not heal trauma. It's not enough. We learn that linking survivors to external services just isn't enough. We learn that trauma recovery is needed and that it's a journey. If you'd like to know more about the survivor's journey, we have uh, the Survivor's Journey book, and the book is 12 journeys. Each chapter is a journey, and each survivor gets a book, and they read a chapter, and there's a workbook that goes along with it, and they do the exercises, the, the challenge exercises, the reflection exercises, the assignments, um, and it is an amazing difference that you will see in your survivor's if they are involved in the survivor's journey or that you will see yourself if you are involved in the survivor's journey. As I was talking, if you thought to yourself, man, I really should be in the survivor's journey. (laughs) That's a very common occurrence because if you have experienced any type of trauma, particularly any child abuse or neglect or sexual assault in your past or domestic violence in your past or Uh, sex trafficking in your past. It's going to sound, this journey is going to sound pretty appealing to you as you see the deficits that you might have 
and how trauma has perhaps stolen some of your joy and how you can have a much more fulfilling life. It's transformational. It changes lives and to witness it is amazing. So like I said, the survivor's journey chapter, they read a chapter, they do the workbook exercises, they come to the weekly group. They can move as fast or as slow as they want to because the power, choice, and voice stays with them. Someone in group might be on the eighth journey while somebody's on a third journey. This is not a group where there are 12 journeys and the group lasts 12 weeks. No, this is more aligned with the AA model where you move as fast or as slow as you are ready to emotionally move. So the power is within you. It's typically facilitated in a group format, but there is an opportunity to do one-on-one if group is not suitable for somebody for one reason or another. Um, The training and the licensing, uh, somebody who's a trained facilitator will um, get the book and the workbook and they will go through the online training course And I will offer live monthly supervision to those group facilitators who are facilitating the Survivor's Journey group. So who can facilitate? Well, trained advocates, uh, trained peers, uh, people with degrees, degreed professionals, people who are actually certified clinical therapists can also implement this. What you bring to the table will be your experience and your richness and your talents and your authenticity but you will be trained to implement this. So our facilitators are also going through uh, the survivor's journey because we want authenticity, we want genuineness. And so we want people that are willing to be a guide, but to also go through the survivor's journey themselves so that they're healing and growing along with members in their group. So the program, if you're interested Uh, in the program costs and being licensed to implement and facilitate this program, get in touch with me. We can talk about that. We can talk to your program director. We can talk to your CEO or whoever we have to talk to um, and describe the project and then get your organization licensed so that you can start implementing um, the survivor's journey wherever you are in the world. So it's possible It's possible to experience a joyful, fulfilling life after trauma, but it takes work, takes support, and it takes a focused journey. So in conclusion, I want to say that if you are a survivor, you can totally do this and you can experience joy and a fulfilling life. If you are a supporter, an advocate, a social worker, somebody walking alongside, the best thing you can do for your survivor is to recognize their trauma and start focusing on that internal healing. Because I promise you, the external healing will be of great benefit if that person is willing to sustain it and accept it in the way that they sustain it is to experience the internal healing so that they know that they're worthy of more than what their past experience has been. So if you've been blaming yourself because you're a worker and you've been working as hard as you possibly can, 
as authentic as trust building, as relationship building and linking as much as you can, and it's still not working, there could be a reason why. And we need to put that person on the journey. I want to show you the power of this type of work. So I'm going to talk about another survivor. She grew up in a low-income, high-crime area. She got involved in an intimate partner relationship that was abusive for eight years, eight long years. She spent that time afraid, unhappy, struggling, always trying to figure out how not to be victimized. She faced three attempted rapes. She didn't go to counseling. Instead, she tried to tough it out. Instead of trauma work, she used drugs and alcohol and anger to numb her pain. She didn't trust people. She stayed hyper vigilant so that she wouldn't be victimized again. Social workers helped her with food and to get welfare benefits and other services, but they thought she was non-compliant and difficult to work with. And she thought they were condescending and cold and had no idea about what her life was like. None of her friends graduated high school. She did have friends that were trafficked. One was murdered. The other stayed drug addicted most of her life and died in 2017. And the other one escaped to Kansas. She decided to change her life by going to school. She struggled through college, but eventually she got good at it. She got so good at it, she decided to get her PhD and did. She spent almost 30 years working with survivors of trafficking, domestic violence, child abuse, and sexual assault. And she wrote the survivor's journey based on her experience and others' experiences of trauma and recovery. She, I, believe that the step of a thousand miles indeed is a journey and begins with a single step. She knows the path because she's traveled it. And she knows how to help other survivors internally heal and live up to their full potential the way that she's doing today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you're interested in the survivor's journey, please email me at Celia, C-E-L-I-A, at Celia, C-E-L-I-A, Williamson, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S-O-N.com. Till next time, the fight continues. Let's not just do something. Let's do the best thing. If you like this episode of Emancipation Nation, please subscribe and I'll send you the weekly podcast. Until then, the fight continues.